Hello and welcome to the International Schools Podcast. My name is Dan Taylor. My name is John Lipton. Join us twice a month at the International Schools Podcast as we have conversations with international school leaders, educators, and entrepreneurs working and engaging in the world of international schools and education. And finally, just to say a huge thank you to our sponsor, Asa for Education, for making this podcast happen. Now, on to the episode. Hello, welcome to the podcast. I'm live from the Bet Show in London. It's March 2022. Uh, we're sitting in the press area. I'm here with Wolfgang Soldner, who is working for an interactive whiteboard company, but also has a long career as a, in international education and technology, and he's actually going back. So we want to have a catch up, talk about that, talk about what you've been doing. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Dan. Fantastic to be on. Yeah. I've um, heard a lot about it, so it's brilliant to, uh, to finally also have a, a little opportunity to talk to you. It's, it's great. I mean, it's um, obviously John Mixon, we both know, is a co-host, and sometimes John does episodes by himself, sometimes vice versa. John's breathed a new lease of life into it. You know, I, I was struggling just to keep up the keep up the routine of every every two weeks because because the podcast's amazing, but it doesn't. It's not like a business tool or anything. It doesn't lead to anything. It's just a great way to meet people. So, because it's not, then it, it doesn't become a priority sometimes because the things that you know your day job becomes a priority. So. But John getting involved has given it a boost, so it, it, it's really good. I think he's really good at it. I mean, he, he extracts nice conversation. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a very easy to talk to person, as are you, but I mean, it's, it's great to have that. that yeah, not, I'm not John's level. John's like <laughs> next level, easy to talk yeah, to. You know, he gets on with everyone. I, I don't think he could not get on with anybody. I, I agree. Don't, I, I don't, I've never I seen it. I've never met anyone who's got a bad thing to say about him. Well, he's worked for some pretty tough characters, you know. I wouldn't name any names, but he's, named, he's worked for some fairly tough people, and he seems to just take it in his stride, which, you know, I think I'd find that harder to do. You know? Yeah, and I've got to say, by the time this comes out, I'll, I'll have had the pleasure of working with him for a few uh, weeks right. or months. So yeah, okay. I'm well, really looking forward to that. We'll get onto that definitely. Um, so we're testing out the um, one of the reasons we're doing this. We're testing out your road podcasting information. I know some podcasters listen to this. Do you want to tell us what, what we're recording on? What is this unit? Yeah, called? so this is the Rode Wireless Go Two. Yeah, um, it's it's a set that comes with two microphones that you can just clip on. Um, some some protective uh, gear so that it's uh, it's it's great against noise. I'm, I'm sure you can hear a little bit of background noise, but um, considering at actually the level of noise here at Bet, I would I would assume and presume that it's uh, very low. Um, and it comes with a little receiver that you can plug in. We've plugged it into a phone right now, so it's really easy on the go. Hence the the word go in the in the in the hardware itself. But yeah. I've just had such fantastic um, um, podcasts and webinars with it. The, the quality is amazing. That's great. And what's the cost roughly of this unit? I, I believe I bought it for about 300 euro, that, that range. So it's not, it's not cheap, but road, road uh, proven quality, um, fantastic manufacturers. Yeah, I'll put a link in the, in the show notes. I mean, for me, I'm looking for a solution like this because I've, I've got a quite a, I like my studio set up at home, but now we're kind of a bit, bit, bit nomadic with the family. And I, I, honestly, if this is as good as my handheld mic, then I don't even need the home studio anymore. You know, yeah. like, I'm, Unless I'm doing video and I want the background and everything, you know, this is for audio only. It looks like a great, a great solution. It's it's fantastic. I mean, we've got currently, all, as you said, I work for i3 Technologies, and we've bought um, one for every member of the team. So we've got about four of them now. Yeah. Because it's the easiest thing. It, it it comes. I mean, we're looking at the the carry case. It's probably what like um, weighs 500 grams at max. Probably yeah. not even. Um, yeah, not even. And it comes uh, with all the storage ca uh, capacity that you need for it. Yeah, it's funny. I'm like, I'm really into the tech world in terms of following tech companies, and I never heard of Rode. I mean, I think they just started with podcasting, with with the advent of, of podcasting. They've really just a huge. I mean, everyone, every single podcaster 
I think every kind of medium to high level podcaster uses Rode, as far as I can tell. Like, especially the the desktop mics, the you boom know, the mics, yeah. boom mics are really, really yeah, they're fantastic. They're expensive. Though. I mean, I um, when when I uh, studied um, at the university, I studied music technology, and we, we used quite a few Rode mics as well back then because they they're very um, robust for the studio environment. But of course, Shaw was was the one that was mainly used. Shaw, sure, exactly. Yeah, S H U R E. Well, that's talking of university. That's a good place to start because I, I, I'm keen to learn more about your background. That's great thing about the podcast you can just chat to people and learn about them um, so yeah how did you so you studied music technology what what, what was the reason and, and what did you did you plan on going into education or did you <laughs> think you were going to be a musician or a, yeah. like a, a producer or something yeah it's exactly that um, I, I, I mean by my name you probably have guessed that I'm German I, uh, I emigrated with my parents uh, when I was 11 to the UK and then stayed on studied you know, at, at Derby University and you, where did you live in the UK just outside of Oxford in Abingdon oh right okay and, I've got um, a friend who lives in Abingdon actually I was there for a beautiful town yeah, it is. It. Uh, good friend's got a farm there so I spent okay. New Year's Eve there it's great uh, I, I fond memories and, and I'd love to go back as often as I, I I don't go back as often as I could but I would love to go back more often um, great memories and uh, yeah it was it was uh, my mum was a music teacher my dad was a physicist and I fell more into my mum's track she was also a teacher by the way maybe that's yeah. where that came from and, um, and I ended up studying it and met people who are far better and more talented than I was. Yeah. And so realized by the end that, uh, no, this wasn't going to be my, uh, my calling as much as it's an amateur hobby. Although I used to think like you, but as, as I'm sure you've learned later on in life, like you can be much, much worse at something than somebody else. But if you can promote and sell your services better, you can be much more successful. You know? and if, had you known that true. at the time, you might have actually done it. You know? And actually having you're heard a very some of the You're a very personable guy. Like you, you know, it's, it's as much about being able to get and network with people as it is about for any any job, but especially That's the music true. industry. Unfortunately, it's true, isn't it? Like what they say, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah, yeah. And music, the same. I mean, there's some pretty awful bands out there, I've got to say. Yeah, definitely. But I think that, that really triggered my uh, my interest in, in technology, first of all, but also educational technology, because, of course, yeah. music and studying music and learning about it, I was... I was like engaged in te technology and technological advances all the time. Yeah. Um, and then actually, as it came towards the end of university, I really didn't know what to do. And, and a friend said, well, why don't you just apply to become an English teacher in, the, in Japan? Yeah. I said, oh, that sounds brilliant. Why yeah. not? Yeah. And, uh, and off I went. I got the job and um, stayed in Japan for about two years. And where did you work in Japan? In Sendai. It's a, it's a city about 360 kilometers northeast. For like a language school, like a language training. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people set up like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and um, after about the first year, I then met my now wife, Japanese wife, uh, Kazuna. And, uh, and I said to her, look, if I'm going to continue teaching, I need a degree in it because I want to be serious about it. Um, yeah, but definitely. I mean, it's, it's, it's the way to do it. If you, if you can handle coming back home, yeah. to the misery of England for a while. Yeah. No offense to English people, I'm English. You, know, <laughs> you can handle coming home from international education. That's definitely the best way to do I it. Best thing I ever did, best decision, because I uh, got a place at Exeter, which was also fantastic. Yeah. Um, and and the, the faculty there, the, the teaching faculty, I know it's well-renowned well anyway, but um, it was such a good time, such a good course. And I studied modern foreign language as a, to become a teacher then to teach yeah. German, which I, which I did. Um, and you had to teach in a local school as part of your PGCE. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I went to, 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 uh, to a place called Chumley, which yeah. is in the middle of nowhere. Right. And then actually another school, uh, Church of England school in, in, in Exeter itself. Um, and, then, and then towards the end of it was looking for a job. Uh, the Church of England school, they offered me a job, but then I also got a job uh, offer from Switzerland, from Zurich. So you were thinking of going, you knew you wanted to go back into international education straight away? It was definitely, um, yeah, I, I kind of like, I got my feet wet when moving back yeah, to Japan yeah. and, and being a an, uh, sort of third culture kid anyway, yeah, a nomad, sure. 
um, I missed it a bit, the yeah, thrill yeah, yeah. of it and meeting other cultures and people and food and yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, uh, I mean, you know. You, yeah, you, yeah, I definitely, yeah. You I'm love good. traveling. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, you didn't tell me. Cool, so, so, so what, what was the first job and what did you do after that? Yeah, so that, that was Zurich International School. Yeah. I was um, employed as a middle school German teacher. Yeah, with Mark Dilworth, I guess. Huh? Who, with Mark, for Mark Dilworth? Yeah, Mark, no, Mark moved? came a little bit later. Mark I was still later, uh, right, Jason okay. Cohn at the time as IT director um, and Peter Mott, who was director of the school. Yeah. Um, but uh, Mark came in my second year in the, for the high school. Uh, and we, we, yeah, we, we got to know each other really well um, throughout the time there. But I got, I got great opportunities given there because they're, in international schools, as you know, people are really flexible about helping people fulfill their passions and, and interests. And so mine was tech. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and the principal at the time, Mark Hempel, um, and later David Woods, they, they really encouraged me to start teaching some elective classes, That's which great. in middle school are fun. They, they're yeah, exploratory. Yeah. Um, you can you can introduce. I mean, all, all of what we're passionate about, a lot of it, um, talking about you know podcasts yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You can introduce to middle school. It's great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're so really open to it. The, the students are open to it. They are, well. and they're so so eager to learn and show as well. You know, it was a, a two-way learning scenario yeah, because yeah, yeah. kids would come in and, and introduce tech to me, just as as we're talking about today. Yeah. And uh, and I I've never been a teacher that pretends that I know more than the students or no or, no. Or it's better. always dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's how the journey started. I, I, I then moved on to become an EdTech coordinator at Zurich. Yeah. And then moved around the world. From there, went to Singapore um, for the German European School. Yeah, why did you decide to leave Zurich then? Uh, you got, I guess you fancied Asia. I mean, I think people have lived in Asia usually. They ever want to get out of it, or they they, want to, they miss it, and they always want to go back there. You know, I'm, I'm like I love Asia. I'm all, I'm, I'm going back for the second half of this year. Like yeah, I, I, I think I, I I do miss it a lot. And and my wife, being Japanese, of course, we miss we both miss it. Singapore was, uh, I'd been in Zurich for seven years, and I thought, you know, it was my first real proper teaching job, and I thought, yeah. you know, seven years is, is a good stint. Um, I also had a bit, bit of career ambition. I thought, tech coordinator, I'd like to move into a little bit of a, of a more broader role, or maybe even tech director job. And, um, and being back closer to, to my wife's family was important to yeah. her at the time, and, and, and uh, still is. Um, and the job came up to be a high school-wide tech coordinator for yep. German European schools. Interesting because it has the German strand and then the international strand. So right, it was a right. Split school, yep. bigger school in terms of what what I was going to be responsible sure. for. Um, and actually, my second year, I, I became the um, it was called head of learning resources, but basically IT director there. So what? Um, so you weren't teaching at all at this point. You were just in technology. Are I we was still teaching, teaching one class still. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's, a lot of people do that just to sit and say I'm still in the classroom. Then you yeah, get, and you get it's, this. Uh, it's actually I, I I've so I go back and forth with this because at times I think you should, um, and it's really good to stay abreast like pedagogical developments and have those conversations with faculty around you. But I also felt like especially when you've got more responsibilities that the teaching suffers a bit because yeah. you start prioritizing and the last thing you want to do is deprioritize your teaching. Yeah, but it, definitely. It's inevitable in those situations, and that I, I didn't like that. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, based on people I know, it's. Um, it's. I think once you get, you know, you can always go back to teaching. Like John Mixon, for example, he's going to be doing some some more classroom stuff. I think most people, once they move into a tech role, that's all they want to do. You know, they yeah. want it as well. Uh, I read a, I, I read a book, and I can't remember. I honestly can't remember who wrote it, but there was a bit in that where the 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 end of this person's career they were really adamant to spend it back in the classroom to give back all the years that they've learned on these other things and i thought what a great move and they went from literally director of a school 
yep. to their last five, six years being back a classroom teacher. That's a really interesting way to do it, to be honest, yeah. I thought it was fascinating. And also, I think, I think you know, as you rise up leadership, a lot of people at a certain point just don't want the hustle of the next level. You know, you don't want like, for example, I wouldn't want to be a school director. I wouldn't want to deal with all the things you have to do with the budgets and at, at, at that level and uh, the, the legal things yeah. and stuff. Like, I think, you know, it's, uh, but, so I think some people, they get to the point and, you know, you always feel you should go to the next level, but you know, maybe you just, you just, you don't want to. And maybe like you say, you want to just use the knowledge and, and take it back to teaching. Yeah, and I've got to say my, in my travels, I have at times a really striven towards that admin role and the, 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 the senior administrator, administrator role in the school. But I'm, at, I'm, I'm actually at a point now where I'm thinking my passion's education and changing teaching yeah, yeah. and learning or helping to change teaching and learning, working with passionate educator. And, and a lot of administrators do, but it, you get torn into so many different directions. Yeah. It's hard sometimes to remain at that focus of saying, I'm here predominantly to help students and teachers. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've, I'm, I'm kind of at the point where I'd much rather be involved directly with the, with the teaching and learning side. And uh, the, the school that I'm moving to in Geneva, um, I, I think it has that exactly right. And then working with John is going to be fabulous because we, I think we're both um, peas out of the same pod. Uh, we, we've, got, we've often talked many, many times about our passions and I feel like it's a synergy made in heaven. Yeah, sure. Well, so what, what about Singapore then? What, um how did you find it as a place to live, first of all? We've talked on the podcast with a couple of people, maybe three people in Singapore. How did you enjoy it as a place to live? I loved it. Yeah, I, I think I most people do. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. I'm a, I'm a hugely passionate person about food, first of yeah. all. And Singapore, I, I think I read something before I, I, I moved there that said Singaporeans don't eat to live, they live to eat. Yeah. Uh, and it's absolutely true. They've got amazing cuisine. Yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a big Chinese community there, plus Indian community, plus yeah. Malaysia. Malaysia. And then, of course, Malaysia. Europeans that have come yeah. in and, and oh, well, yeah, anywhere, anyone. Um, but uh, I, I struggled with the humidity, I've got to say. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm somebody Is that- Is it humid just certain times of the year? No, always, yeah. always. It's so I haven't really sticky. been to Singapore. I've been, I go to Asia all the time, but for some reason, I'm never really in Singapore. Yeah, it's, um, it's basically your, your, your daily temperature ranges from the coldest, I think it, it was whilst we were there, 24 degrees Celsius yeah. to 40, um, but really normally around the 30, 32, 33 degrees yeah. and always humid. Yeah. It can be more humid or less humid, but always humid. Always humid, wow, yeah, that's, that'll be tough for me, I think. Yeah. After a rainstorm, it might be a little bit less humid and then you go out and really do a jog or a, yeah. a, a cycle ride, but um, for the most part. But you know, some people acclimatize to that really well. I, I, I found it okay, but I didn't love that part about it. I struggled a bit. <clears throat> yeah. Did you find, um, was, it, was it like, so it's interesting to think, I'm really interested in like workload as to how we work. Because people always say, for example, if you work in what people would call like a tier one school, like a Zurich International School is a good example, a traditional not-profit, that, that you are, the, the workload is much higher. You're expected to take on extracurricular activities, leadership things. Yeah. And, and is that the same? And also in Singapore, I guess, because of like parental pressure and just the work ethic in there, is it, are you expected to work really long hours? Was that, was that, was that yeah. what it was like? Yeah, it was, it was uh, I've got to say that that was one of the, least enjoyable parts of the job was I felt uh, the work culture there is really unhealthy. What, what was your typical day in the school? It would be certainly when I then moved into that sort of IT director <clears throat> job, it would be from as early as 6.30 sometimes when I started answering emails to as late as 11 midnight. So really the, the gap wow. of when communication stopped was minute. And, and, and the, the, the reason I felt the pressure to be part of that is if you didn't, answer your 10, 15 emails that came maybe at 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night, yeah. you'd start the next day on a, on a backlog. Yeah. And, and it would just not stop. And, and I couldn't pinpoint who 
if at all one person was responsible, it was nearly like institutional. Yeah. And, and everybody contributed to it. And what, so what would be a typical day? Obviously 11.30 is extremely but like if you take it like an average day, an average Wednesday, would you, could you get out in time to go meet people in the evening and stuff, or was it just? Yeah, I guess, I guess on, on, on average I'd be done by between five and six. Oh, that's, yeah, I mean, that's, so that's still a long okay. day if you're starting at 6.37, yeah. but yeah it's, yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to um, Chip Kimball, who you probably know, he was, he was superintendent at the, Anglo, at the American Singapore, School of yeah. Singapore. And he was saying, we went out for dinner with him and his wife, because they moved to Prague where yep. we live with my wife. And um, he said he, and I have no reason to dis disbelieve him, he said for his whole time there, he averaged um, 70 hour weeks. Yeah. Which if you break it down, it's almost a 12 hour day, seven days a week, 12 hour. Yep. It's, like a, it's like a, I guess it's a 12, 10 hour day, five, no, a 12 hour day, five days a week and a 10 hour day, two days a week, yep. something like that. And, and yep. he said, obviously holidays off, they pretty much took the holidays off, although there were some things happening, but. I, I personally, that's, that's not enjoyable to me. I, I mean, I love working. I mean, I, I work, I work my own business, which is great, and I work with educators, so I'm very flexible. I, I take the summers off. Some days I'll do 12, 14 hour days. Some days I'll, I'll play golf in the afternoons, you know? But I, I couldn't do 12 hour days, seven days a week. No, no and I think you, you've fallen to- I need, a week, I need at least one day off a week. Yeah, absolutely. Know? And I think at, at the level he was at, at the school that he was at, he would have been, you know, pressured by a, a community all around him, not just parents, but just yeah. that community that would replicate that themselves often. Yeah. You know? So if, if the parents do it, they'll expect the, the, the school to do it too. Yeah, yeah. and um, I think it showed after he left there, he went and took a sabbatical. He, was like, he just said he couldn't just go straight to another job after that. He needed a break. No, that's right. And like, I'll give you an example. I would have parents who'd email me at yeah. like nine o'clock in the morning, uh, in the evening, and if I hadn't responded by 7.30, they'd be on my case saying, did you get my email? Really? Why haven't you responded? Well, is, is it true that the stereotype of like the, the parents in Singapore are like super involved and super yeah. demanding? Yeah. yeah. Helicopter parents. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Was that much more so than in Switzerland? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you still, look. Switzerland, you, people don't, it's like Germanic almost. People don't expect you to answer e emails on the weekend. I know, I, I worked with the um, German, Swiss German School of Hong Kong, mm -hmm. and it, which was connected to the, I think, to the German embassy. And uh, they were saying that um, they weren't allowed to answer emails. The German, German civil servants, I think it's after 5 p.m., they can't, they're not allowed to answer emails. That's right. They're, well, and, the system shuts and, down. And so, uh, what's that? The system shuts down. Yeah, yeah, they the, can't. Yeah. And then, and then they, they can start again. So there was no expectation ever to respond to like evening things. To no, parents, that's right. You know? Totally different culture. I mean, that's not probably true across the board, but certainly for the civil service part of yeah. the servants part of, uh, of life, they are very, rigid and, and, and protect that element. And I don't think it's, uh, it's a bad thing. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it, it really, you know, during COVID was, it was a great example, but I mean, a little bit more recent, where people really felt the strain of that. I mean, I, I was working in China at the time yeah. for, for United World College, and I was based in Europe, but I felt so responsible for the contingency that was still left in China, for yeah. the contingency that moved to North and South America, to Latin America all around the globe so so really my work I, I, I couldn't sleep I'd wake up at four o'clock do three four hours yeah. of work take a nap do another cup so I'd, I'd, I'd be there for all time zones and, and I know that other people did the same thing and, and there your work life balance suddenly it's, went out it's the window. It's a skill though like, I mean when COVID started I was like welcome to my world because I've been fully remote for 10 right. years now right so that this has been like COVID nothing changed for me apart from you know obviously the pandemic and stuff my work didn't change right because we've got I mean, I, I made apps events global from day one because I wanted to work across the world, like with schools. Um, and so I've always had to work around the world. Yeah. So, and, and like you say, people, people said it was stressful, but I, I mean, I think people like, 
they, they should have realized how hard it is. It's, it's, it's obviously not that easy to, to structure this, you know? Yeah. And, and when you're working with time zones, you have to set limits. Like, I, uh, if I talk to America, I only talk to them first thing in the morning. Mm. Occasionally with Google, I'll have to do it later, but I'll say, like, you've got to call me seven o'clock your time when you wake up, or, or we just can't speak, you know? Because I, I'm, I don't like working in the evenings, you know? I've got yeah. young children. I, I like to get up early and finish my day, so. Like you have to set boundaries, and, and I think people struggle because it was just a new, it was just a new way of working yeah. you know, for everyone. No, and I, I, I totally agree. And I think in a, in a normal scenario where, I mean, for, for, for me it was quite specific. The, the United World College model, hundred nationalities, when they had to all go home, they were at a loss. You know, there were yeah, situations yeah. where they couldn't help themselves. And my role was 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 assistant uh, dean or de dean of uh, educational technology. Um, and so I felt really responsible to make sure that people had access, that things were working well. So it wasn't it wasn't even from a, from an infrastructure point yeah, of view because yeah. they were all over the world. But it was it was more panic management because you, you had DP one and DP two students yeah, who yeah, were sure. DP two students who were going potentially through even that back then it wasn't decided that exams wouldn't happen and yeah. and they, they needed access to their lessons and teachers who who were struggling between the the um, online and offline. Um, synchronous and asynchronous type yeah. teaching yeah and it was a it, you're right people should have realized and I'm now a huge advocate to make sure we integrate this into schools it shouldn't just be um, a people have got to be ready management. for future shutdown yeah, they have to be ready just to switch at any point and know? actually integrated as a, as a good learning experience yeah, I mean, yeah, lo lots true. of good learning happened during um, remote teaching yeah and and it really benefited certain types of students and so we now have to make sure that we don't go back to this traditional teaching model where we just ignore what happened but say sure. there was really good stuff that happened let's make sure we make that part of our daily school engagement. Agreed, agreed. Um, so yeah, you mentioned United World College, so like, obviously you left Singapore, and, and I, I think the great thing is, the great thing about working for international schools is like, it's not frowned upon to move around, because people, it's, it's, it improves your career by getting other experiences, but I guess you decided to leave Singapore at a certain point, you had enough of it, or you wanted to try somewhere different? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. It was, it, was a, it was a really nice experience, a little bit shorter maybe than, than I had anticipated, yeah. but uh, that took us to Austria, to Vienna, and the American school. Well, to Vienna you went there. Yeah, yeah we went first yeah, to Vienna, yeah. American International School Vienna, and that was great. I love, I absolutely loved Vienna. Yeah, uh, As a great. city, as a culture, work, work-life balance, fantastic. Yeah. School and, and employees were very, Strict and 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 uh, and careful about their workday, um, probably that. to the exact opposite of Singapore. But I felt for the much better. Um, I love. I, I never mentioned we have a place in Austria in the Alps. I spend like a lot of my winters in Austria every year. Brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely. My love kids it. love it. It's great. Yeah. yeah. It's a great country. Great people. Um, and Vienna. I mean, really, that east-west, east meets west, yeah, and that yeah. melting pot of cultures and cuisine. And again, coming back to to my passion yeah, for food. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, we loved it. We were there for three years and loved every moment. Cool. Did you go to Prague where I lived? Did you visit? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We went to, uh, I, I was coaching the, uh, the varsity girls football team. Oh, okay. And so cool. we went up to Prague to play a couple of times and, and they came down and they're part of CISA yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and IST, uh, ISSTs. So, so uh, lots of interactions with, uh, with schools around there. Yeah, definitely. And of course, Sheldon. Um, yeah, Sheldon. Yeah, well, Sheldon, Sheldon was there when you, when, when you were in Vienna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's right. And uh, of course, yeah, I mean, Vienna is, um, yeah, it's a great place. I mean, all those cities like Prague, Vienna, Berlin, Munich, you know, you can get so many places really easily, you know, like you just so can, it's like, I mean, in Prague, for example, it's, I mean, I can be the German border and if you drive fast in just an hour and 20 minutes, I can yeah. be Germany, you yeah, know, it's yeah, like, yeah. And, and I can be in Poland in almost the same and I can be in Austria in almost the same. Yeah, that's what, exactly, and yeah. I love that. Like we went to Budapest, to, to Prague, then across 
yeah, all, all over the place, you're yeah, right. Yeah. It's, it's all drivable, or, or trains are fantastic. You don't even need to get on a plane. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Oh, you know, they're, they're just bringing in an overnight train from um, Brussels and Amsterdam to Prague. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, they're bringing in the oh, old brilliant. sleeper train. Some private yeah. company's doing it. I think it might have even started. And okay. it goes overnight, I think it goes by Berlin. And, and, um, and I'm not sure where else, but yeah. But yeah, uh, Brussels and Amsterdam direct to Prague. They, they, I don't know why sleeper trains disappeared. I took one once from Zurich to Berlin. I loved it. I, I, I love sleeper trains. I used to take the one to Poland. Yeah. I've done one in Ukraine. I've done one in uh, in Asia. I've done one in Th Thailand and India. Fabulous. Yeah, they're great. Oh, yeah. I think they're Indian fantastic. ones are not so great, but the rest were good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And long. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, big country. Yeah, we had a 16-hour delay or something, something like that one wow. time in India, which is. It wasn't, people weren't even too stressed about the delay, you know, it was 16 hours. <laughs> Makes the, the already long journey a bit longer. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, then you went back to Asia again, I guess? Yeah, so then that, yeah. Vienna, we went, we went then to China to, yeah. to work. At, oh, and oh, was your wife working in schools all this time, or was she working online, or what was she doing? Yeah, she, she's actually back in, in Zurich when we were there. She started getting her, uh, her feet wet in database administration. She worked with databases, yeah. and she fell in love with it. She, she, she's really uh, a meth logical worker she she's very precise um, yeah. and loves it and loves and and it's more on then that interaction similar maybe to how I work in edtech she really works with administrators and teachers yeah. so she understands their needs and she can translate that sort of technical requirement and 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 need into what databases can can deliver yeah yeah and so she she's worked with that with with various big companies all, all her working career since we moved and um, and actually now um, is uh, self-employed. She's starting her own company in, in Switzerland. Fantastic. Um, so it's it's great, yeah. Which means she can live, work. Well, yeah, and that's a hundred. That's a job you can hundred percent do remotely as well. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I think it'll go. We we talked about this yesterday. I think that'll go more and more that way. More more jobs will be um, focused on projects and outsourced yeah. to to people who are real experts at it for yeah. for remote work. And 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 to be honest, a lot of the the real hardcore and more in-depth support that is needed probably should be outsourced anyway because it's not just the expense but oftentimes you can't train somebody up to that degree that somebody may have across the globe and they can yeah. do the job just as good yeah yeah exactly exactly and, and and you went to china so how was china how did you enjoy it fabulous i mean yeah. unfortunately uh COVID hit there the earliest um and we so were. Did you, oh, did you literally get there and COVID hit straight away, more or less? Four months into it. Right. So we were. We, Could we you went, get out or did you just end up staying there? Yeah, we went home to, to Japan for Chinese New Year to visit the, my, my wife's family. Yeah. And, uh, and whilst we were there for two weeks after the first week, we had to shut school and send everybody home, so we never made it back. Right. So you, um, never, went, you never went back at all? Never went no. back at all, no. You, just taught, you were just working remotely all this time afterwards? Yeah. 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 So for basically, yeah, the best part of two, two academic years, yeah, yeah. Uh, minus the four months. But, um, but I've got to say, I really, really wanted to, uh, to work for a United World College. It's, it's, it's interested yeah, me for such it, a long you, time. You told me some interesting things last night. I didn't realize that, that like, something like 80% of uh, students are not fee paying. You know, they're all subsidized. It's really interesting. Yeah, I didn't it know that. exactly. I mean, either full scholarships, partial scholarships. I mean, there's a range of, yeah. of models, of course, but a, a large, large proportion. And that's the point. I mean, the whole uh, ethos, uh, ethos of it is to teach towards world peace and sustainability so they want student they don't want the monetary bit to be a, a hindering factor for students applying and learning that's interesting i, I want to learn more about them actually I've, I've never i don't think i've really worked for the uh, united world college school so i, I want to i'd like to learn more They're about fabulous them. yeah and i mean of course we, we can't forget united world college is probably the biggest uh, organization of such a kind but there are 
other schools who are doing very similar things in terms of scholarship and providing education for maybe underprivileged uh, students or sure. family situations. And there, there's lots of other schools that, that do similar things and have very similar mentalities and come from very similar thought backgrounds like Kurt Hahn who founded um, um, Atlantic College in, in, in Wales. Yeah. There are other people who I know. Who, who founded it in Wales? Sorry, who was it? Kurt, Kurt Han. Oh, Kurt Han. Sorry, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't hear you pronounce it. Yeah. Well, he <laughs> was the founder of the UWC, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 so yeah, he, yeah, he founded yeah. Atlantic College, which. Um, that was the first one, right? Okay. That was the first one and really hugely um, associated afterwards with lifeboat and life, um, uh, uh, naval rescue. Right. So they still have a lifeboat and, and students still learn how to be rescue workers. And really? Yep, they're still very involved in that. They're still lifeboat station, actually. Interesting. Interesting. Um, as part of their college. Yeah. So you, would, you, would, you, like, would you recommend it as a place to work if people were looking at jobs and stuff, UWC generally? Yeah, you know, it's, 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 um, it's a different international school. I, I do feel um, a lot of... Different in what way? Like, what's different about it? Yeah, I think a lot of international school educators um, go into international school teaching because it's maybe financially a bit better. They get to see the world. Yep. Um, I think most teachers that I've met through UWC, they, they, they're real humanitarians. They, 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 right. they, they get really involved in, in political activism, in, in, in eco-activism. In, in, Interesting. And so actually a lot of what, what UWC do, which is described often with the IB as a community action service, they, they do as a foundation. I mean, that's their core. Yeah. They, they are really all about integrating into the local community, yeah, yeah. doing charitable work, um, going out there and making a difference. And that's actually that all students get vetted. They, they go through a really rigorous uh, application process, and most of it is interviews, like face-to-face -face live vetted interviews. Vetted in what way, for what, what attributes? They want students who are making a difference. So right. they want students who are already involved in, in activism, in, in, in change-making, in charity work, in, right. in all kinds of facets of life. And, and they want to, I mean, one of the, again, another core um, a wish for UWC is to really introduce students to each other that have opposing views and, yeah. and different opinions. That's good, yeah. So I, I don't, yeah, because that's good. Cause I, I, I would worry there'd be too much group thinking in a place like that where you have to think a certain way, you know. Right, no. Unless you're, you believe the United Nations line on everything and yeah. you're outcast, you know. Which, right, right, right. Which, I mean, it's, fa it's fabulous. I mean, by default, if you think that a lot of UWCs have, let's say, between 50 and 120 different nationalities, putting them in just from a religious and political point of view and then saying that those students who get picked already have that as a, as yeah, a yeah, core yeah, yeah. is fascinating and it's all done within a safe environment. Cool. So yeah, I, wanted, I guess I want to talk a bit about what you know, you, you chose to take a job out, out of education yeah. and then now you're thinking to go back in. So that's just a great way to finish. I want to talk about that. So what, what like, cause it happens a lot. I know a lot of people leave education. Some never want to go back. Some do want to go back. Some mm. hop between the two, you know, yeah. it's a, um, what, what, what was the reason you decided to do that? So I think my main drive was really, I do miss working with educators. I like uh, educators and students, and yeah. I think... Um, so what was the reason you went, you went oh, oh, yeah, first of all, for, sorry. For the industry. Yeah, why I, did you decide I to leave I wanted to see fish? what the other side of the table right, is like. Right, you know, right. I've dealt with it so, so long that um, this job came up as an, as an global head of education, so really focused on education. And the company's been great. They've really let me still be me as an educator and, and help develop their programs. Um, in, in, in an educative way, in a pedagogical way, and maintaining that. Um, did you think? Did you think? Okay, this is it. I'm, I'm, I'm finished with working for schools. Or did you think this is a, something I'll do for a while, and then I'll go back to work for a school? What, what was your planning? I don't think I even went. Yeah, you didn't I, think I, that. I, I don't think I went that far. I, I thought I'll do this for a bit yeah, and yeah, see how yeah. it goes. Uh, I didn't really have that that um, 
end goal of either this is it or or it's not it. Yeah, um, yeah. I, yeah. I went into a little bit free, willy nilly. Whatever will happen will happen. But yeah, yeah. I researched the company, looked at the job, was very specific on interview about yeah. what they wanted, what I thought I wanted. Um, and so it's been a good partnership for a year. I yeah. really have enjoyed it. I think it's a great company. Yeah, just um, met some of your colleagues today. They seem very friendly, some nice people. Fantastic colleagues, yeah. um, really good supportive team. But ultimately the pull to get back into uh, the, the, the more pedagogical environment is, yeah. is, is definitely there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the schools are so, such a unique place to work. I mean, you know, especially if, if, you're, if, you, if you can negotiate getting the school holidays as well, that makes a difference. There's a, a real rhythm to the year, which is tough to get. Yeah, know, and that's the know. work coming back to, uh, you know, nearly yeah. our first point of that work-life yeah, yeah. balance. And, and um, it is important. It is really important. You're right. Yeah. And we, why only work if you can't enjoy the time off and, and, and enjoy life and do... Definitely. I, I always believe that. Yeah, you have to take... Yeah. No. yeah For me, I, I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't. When I had a job in London, I worked in, in IT, you know, and it was really long hours. I worked for an investment bank, and it was just too much. I, 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 it was great first job because I knew that I didn't want to do that anymore. Yeah. You know, I wanted to do something different. Sometimes you I didn't that. care if I made less money. I just didn't <laughs> want to do that lifestyle. You know? Yeah, like, no, absolutely. I think it's great. not. not for, for some people, it is about the money. I think for me, like you've described, it's more about uh, work-life balance and, and enjoying life. Yeah, and you're off to Geneva, which is one of the most. Uh, Maybe the most famous international school, I guess. It's one of the oldest ones, isn't it? One of the oldest ones, one of the founding yeah. parts of where the IB started from. And, uh, and I think it's going to be great because it's such a multinational city, yeah. uh, multicultural, multinational. Expensive. Expensive, yeah, but yeah. It's, you know, it's Switzerland, so um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you get yeah, a lot exactly. back for it. Yeah. And right on the foothills of the Alps and, uh, and the Jura mountain range, so lots of outdoor skiing, mountain biking. Yeah, yeah. It'll be, uh, it'll be fun. Cool. Boys, boys and girls playground of nature. Yeah, exactly. You've got the Alps. I mean, you can get up to um, a lot of the French ski resorts are quite a short drive from Geneva. I Absolutely. mean, when I go skiing in France, you normally fly to Geneva and just yeah. drive from there, you know. Yeah, Chamonix. The yeah, yeah, Chamonix. Yeah. yeah, I climbed Mont Blanc a few years ago. Fantastic. It's a great experience. Yeah, yeah that's a great one. Great. Too. Well, look, Wolfgang, Wolfgang's fantastic to talk. Um, Have you done? Yeah, uh, it's been a really good chat. And, uh, and again, just from a geek point of view, to test, check out your your road uh, podcaster I'm, I'm gonna I'm, as long as this recording sounds good I'm gonna order one on Amazon as soon as I get yeah back I was to gonna the say tonight. we will find out after 30 minutes that exactly. I haven't recorded anything <laughs> great to talk and fingers crossed you're gonna hear this <laughs> yeah fantastic <laughs> cheers. cheers Dan